And you know, that, that should have been the song that uh, Jonah was singing. Our God saves. You know, he should have been celebrating what God did in Nineveh. He should have been shouting with joy and, 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 and dancing a jig. I mean, God rescued 120,000 plus people. God brought his compassion and his grace to bear on a people who did not deserve it. And Jonah was able to get a front row seat to God's rescuing love. Jonah should have been excited about what God did in Nineveh. Now, if you don't know what I'm talking about, this is the story of Jonah, not the story of a whale, but the story of us and the story of God with his prophet and God with people that are far from him. And it's a story of how God used this man, Jonah, uh, to bring a message to a people that did not know God, did not worship God, worshiped a lot of other gods, little G-O-D-S, had done tremendously wicked things, and yet... Through a series of of events, God led Jonah um, and finally convinced him after he was swallowed by a whale, uh, uh, convinced him to go to to fulfill God's mission in Nineveh. And, And so Jonah, we saw last week, went to Nineveh and he began to walk through that city, that great city, Nineveh, and he preached a simple message, yet 40 days and Nineveh shall be overthrown. Uh, the message was, God's going to get you unless you change. And, and they got the message, and, and, and literally their, their lives were turned upside down in Nineveh. And they looked to God in repentance. They, they tore their clothes, and, and, and they sat in ashes in repentance. And they cried out to God. Even the king of the city cried out to God for mercy and forgiveness. And, and God heard their cry, and they were rescued. Uh, there was a tremendous transformation that took place in that city. And, and so Jonah should have been singing, Our God saves! Our God saves! But that's not what he sang. Jonah chapter 4, beginning of verse 1. But it displeased Jonah exceedingly, and he became angry. So he prayed to the Lord and he said, "Ah, Lord, was not this what I said when I was still in my country? Therefore, I fled previously to Tarshish, for I knew that you are a gracious and merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in steadfast love, one who relents from doing harm. Therefore, now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it is better for me to die than to live. And then the Lord said, Is it right for you to be angry? Just stop there for a second. Maybe God needs to ask you that question today. Is it right for you to be angry? a good question to ask verse 5 so Jonah went out of the city and he sat in the, on the east side of the city and there he made himself a shelter and he sat, it, uh, sat under it in the shade till he, uh, till he might see what would become of the city and the Lord God prepared a plant and made it 
come up over Jonah so that it might be shade for his bald head. It doesn't say bald head, but that's what I imagine. So it might be shade for his head to deliver him from his misery. So Jonah was very grateful for the plant. But as morning dawned the next day, God prepared a worm, and it so damaged the plant that it withered. And it happened when the sun arose that God prepared a vehement. That's the New King James, vehement. That means a really bad, mean kind of wind. Uh, God prepared a vehement east wind, and the sun beat on Jonah's head so that he grew faint. And then he wished death for himself and said, It is better for me to die than to live. And God said to Jonah, Is it right for you to be angry about the plant? And Jonah said, It is right for me to be angry even to death. And the Lord said, You have had pity on the plant for which you have not labored nor made it grow, which came up in a night and perished in a night. And should I not pity Nineveh, that great city, in which are more than 120,000 persons who cannot discern between their right hand and their left and a bunch of cows? This is a hard message to preach, and here's why. It's a hard message to preach because I generally like to preach from the positive. And what that means is uh, I, like to, I like to see positively what the text is saying to us to help us as followers of Jesus become more like Jesus. So I try to see, I, I try to see the positive side in a passage. And, 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 and when I speak on a passage, I try to speak from the positive. But, but sometimes it's hard. It's hard to remain faithful to the text and speak from the positive. Today's one of those days. It's hard. Because Jonah doesn't give us much room to be positive. And more so, the application of the passage has a tendency to be kind of harsh toward us. See, the application of the passage is Jonah is like we are. And we are like Jonah. And as we look at this passage and as we see what God has done, we, we long for, for the, the compassion of God to, to, to change Jonah. We, we really wanted that to happen. I really wanted that to happen. I, I longed for God's compassion and grace to change Jonah's attitude. But even as God unleashed his compassion on Nineveh, even as God unleashed his compassion on Jonah, Jonah still would not be changed. My, my hope for us, and, and really I think the, the big picture of the passage is that, that we should let God shape our hearts with his compassion. It, it, it's, it's that God's compassion should, should take our hearts and make our hearts different than they were before now you've you've seen this happen in 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 your own life and your own relationships when someone was uh, particularly kind to you and when you were in need or someone was uh, 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 loving toward you when you really needed somebody to 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 be loving toward you when somebody did something as simple as uh, put their arm around your shoulder when you were weeping I mean simple things but those simple things man they 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 shape your heart 
unless you're so stubborn that you won't let them. See, here's here's the thing. Uh, We can come to a million church services and attend a million Bible studies and take millions of pages of notes about God. But if we do not allow Him to go deeper than our head and really explode our life with His compassion, shape our heart so that we've got to change. See, here's the thing. If we're not ready to do that, if we're not willing to do that, then if we're a follower of Jesus, we're immature. We're not growing. And you can blame it on anybody else. You can point your finger at me and say, I need to preach more like Charles Stanley in order to make you hear it, or David Jeremiah, or pick your poison. You know, I get one of those uh, uh, requests about about every two or three months. I've I've gotten them for as long as I've been a preacher. got one this past week I, I i got it before they were able to throw it away um uh you know preacher here's where charles stanley is on the television here's the channel you can go to and if you'll just go ahead and listen to him you'll you'll do a lot better um my response is this is not the voice you're not the judge and i'm not waiting for you to turn your chair around and make me feel like you approve that's, that's, that's my response to that. Um, I, I understand that there are certain things about me that are irritating. You ought to live with me. Uh, it, it, it is. But, but uh, there is something that I am called to do here, and I'm called to do it in the personality that God gave me to do it. Uh, so uh, just, that's a little aside. just wanted you all to hear that because... Uh, when and the note that I received said, "Look at Charles Stanley," and then they said, uh, "I'll let you know who I am as soon as you, uh, you know, correct your preaching." Um, I, I, maybe, maybe today's the day for you. You're like, "Wow, that's a Charles Stanley sermon," you know, and and you'll let me know who you are. Uh, resist that temptation. You probably don't want to let me know who you are. Um, <laughs> But we, we, get, we get in this place where we get stubborn. Now, you know, all my life, I've tried to be a better preacher. All my life, for, uh, for as long as I've been preaching. Uh, you know, I actually had to go to a class where they grade you on your preaching, you know. Uh, and it seems like every week I'm in a class where at least I grade myself. You know, every, every week I, I try to watch my own preaching. I try to be a better preacher. Um, and, and that's painful because that gets real personal. There are certain things about my person that, uh, that, that I have to adjust in order to be a better communicator. There, that's just the way it is. And, 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 yet, and yet there's something in me that rises up when I see and, uh, and, and, and you know, I'll have, I'll have friends uh, who are communicators, preachers, who will actually, I'll ask them, will you watch this message and, and, and give me a grade on it and let me know. And and uh, and and it, it's hurtful at times because it gets real personal. Uh, I don't enjoy that. That's not fun. But I I want 
I want to be as honoring to God in my communication of his word as I possibly can be. And that means I got to grow. Now, there are some preachers that say, I, you know, I am what I am and I cannot change. And that's the way it is. And you'll just have to live with it. Um, that there are some who say, I've been doing this a long time and, and uh, this is the way I do it. Well, I, I just don't think that's, that's the way it ought to be. I think there needs to be growth, right? But in order to grow, you have to have a humility about you to say there's some stuff that needs to change. Now, I'm going to turn that now. So I've been talking about me. Now let me talk about you for a second. Many of you come to this worship gathering every week and you take notes and you listen, but you have not grown one inch closer to God in the 13 years I've been here because you have refused to adjust to what God teaches you, there are some parts of your life where you decide, I'm not changing that. I'm going to stay exactly the way I am. That's, that's who I am. I just can't change. And, 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 and people around you say, oh, well, that's just, that's just Tom or, or that's just uh, person A or person B. I can't use a name because I get called out when I, I there are people here named Tom, and I'm not talking about you. Um, that was an anonymous person. Anyway, um, but, but you sit here and 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 you hear what God says, and you learn more about God, but, but you're not going to humble yourself and let God change you. And, and, and that's why you don't feel close to God. That's why you are in a dry place. That's why you're living in bitterness and disobedience. You know, Jonah was in that place. God's compassion was available to him and had been expressed to him, but he refused the change. He refused to humble himself. Now, my prayer today for us, for all of us, is that we would humble ourselves before God and his word and, and allow God to change us and that we would change. Because, can I just say, if nobody's told you yet, you're not perfect. Neither am I. There's nothing more beautiful than a man or a woman, a follower of Jesus Christ who is broken before God and cries out, Oh God, change me. And what breaks my heart about Jonah is that you don't hear him say it at the end of chapter 4. You just hear him say, I have a right to be angry till the day I die. Is that a picture of your life? Have you given yourself to be permission to be angry for whatever cause till the day you die? If that's your perspective, then could I humbly suggest as a follower of Jesus that you need to allow God's compassion to shape your heart? So as we look at this passage, let's, let's consider first God's compassion is going to shape our heart. Let's, let's consider first how that we have received God's compassion. See, you and I, we, we've received God's compassion. If indeed you're a follower of Jesus, you have received God's compassion. Jonah had received it. And, and, and what is amazing to me is that Jonah had received God's compassion in a lot of different places in a lot of different ways. Jonah was born uh, to the nation of Israel, uh, among the people of Israel. That was a blessing. That is an act of God's 
compassion. That's step one. Step two, Jonah survived the onslaught of, uh, of uh, the Assyrian army and, and, and the onslaught of these pagan forces, these uh, enemies coming and destroying Jerusalem, and Jonah had survived. That, that's God's compassion. Uh, Jonah had, had the compassion of God to call him to be a prophet. The, remember Jonah chapter 1, verses 1 and 2, the word of the Lord came to Jonah, the son of Amittai. God called Jonah to be his voice, to be his ambassador in the world. That was God's compassion. When Jonah rebelled against what God had called him to do, and Jonah said, I'm not going to go to Nineveh, that great city, and he got on a boat and he ran from God, uh, and, and, and he was so overwhelmed with his own bitterness that he said to the sailors, when the storm came up, he said to the sailors, just throw me overboard uh, and the storm will stop and I'll be content to die. But it was God's compassion and God's grace that led Jonah, even as he was sinking in the depths of the sea, led Jonah to, 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 to look to God once again, to, to look upon the face of God once again. Even as Jonah is about to drown, going down for the last count, Jonah cries out to God in repentance. Friends, that's a grace of God. That's God's compassion. That Jonah even had the compulsion at that late moment to cry out in repentance. It's God's compassion that God heard Jonah's cry and sent a fish to rescue him, to swallow him. That's compassion. It's God's compassion that the fish spat Jonah out on dry ground. That's compassion. Can you imagine? We don't even want to talk about it. Anyway, it's God's compassion that, that, that equipped Jonah to go through Nineveh and preach the message without being punched in the nose or uh, being beheaded. That's God's compassion. It's God's compassion that God would continue to talk to Noah, uh, Jonah, even though Jonah was recalcitrant, stubborn, rebellious, mad that the people of Nineveh had been rescued. And more than that, it is God's compassion that grew a plant to cover Jonah's bald head. Jonah had received God's compassion, and if you're a follower of Jesus, you've received more. Have you reflected on God's compassion to you? It is God's compassion that leads us to see our need of the Savior, Jesus Christ. It's not your heritage that saved you. It's not your Baptist tradition that saved you. It's not your Americanized culture that saved you. It's not anything in you that has rescued you. It is only God and His grace. Friends, that's God's compassion. It's God's compassion that sent Jesus to die on a cross for sinners like you and me. It is God's compassion by which His Spirit drew your heart to Himself to see your need of Jesus and and, and cry out to, to God uh, for rescue through faith in Jesus Christ. It is God's compassion that woke you up this morning on Time Change Sunday and brought you here on Time Change Sunday. Honestly, how many of y'all were really here for the 8 o'clock? It's God's compassion. It's God's compassion that gives us air to breathe. It's God's compassion that allowed me to have a wife like I have. Beautiful children like I've got. 
That's God's compassion. Now, if Jonah teaches us anything, it teaches us that as we have received that compassion from the Lord, we're supposed to be the conduit through which that same level of compassion reaches others. As we have received compassion, we're supposed to give it to others. And Jesus tells the story in Matthew chapter 18, verse 23, 24, 25. Jesus tells the story in Matthew chapter 18 of a master, call him a king. A king had some servants, and one of his servants owed him a bunch of money. And, uh, and, and the bill had come due, and so the, the king called this servant in and said, you owe me a bunch of money. Let's say $20,000. And the servant said, I don't have it. And, and the, the king says, all right, well, I'm going to throw you in debtor's prison. I'm going to confiscate everything. I'm going to make your children uh, be slaves. I'm going to, uh, uh, you know, your, your life is over as you know it. And, and because that's what they did to people who couldn't pay their debts when the debt came due. Oh, the, the, the servant who owed the 20000 he he begged the master, the king. He said, please, please, please have mercy on me. Please have compassion on me. Please have pity on me. Please don't put me in debtor's prison. Please don't do this to me and my family. Please, 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 please. And the king had compassion on the servant. And he forgave the debt. He erased the $20,000 debt. The servant got up from there filled with gratitude that He had escaped that judgment, and he left the presence of his king, and he walked down the hallway to his buddy's room, and in his buddy's room was sitting a a friend that he had loaned $5 to. And he knocks on the door, and, and, and he goes into his friend's room, and he says, Dude, you owe me $5. And if you don't pay me back right now, I'm going to put you in debtor's prison. And the, the guy who owed $5, he said to the guy that had just had his debt forgiven, he said, I don't have the money. I can't pay you back. And, and the guy who had been forgiven 20000 looked to the guy who owed him $5, and he said, all right, you're going to debtor's prison. There was no mercy in this man who had been forgiven so much. And he sent his friend to debtor's prison, the very thing that he had pled for, for rescue from and that God had rescued, or the king had rescued him from. So the guy who had been forgiven sent off the guy who owed him $5, and he's in debtor's prison. Well, other people heard about this, so they went back to the king. They said, you know that guy that you, you, you forgave his $20,000 debt? The king says, yes. They said, you'll never believe what he did. He walked out of here, and he went to a, uh, one of his friends that owed him $5, and, 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 and his friend couldn't pay him the $5, so, so he sent him to debtor's prison. And the king was incensed. Now, this is how Jesus tells the story. The king was incensed with rage. And he calls that servant in, the one that owed $20,000. And he said, have you really done this? You who have been forgiven so much, how can you forgive so little? Well, the, the end of the story is that, as Jesus told it, this is just a story. As Jesus told the story, Jesus took the guy who owed the 20000 threw him in jail, released the guy who owed the $5, took the guy, did everything that, that was threatened, and then some. You know, God doesn't look kindly on us when we have received compassion and we do not give it. God has been gracious to us 
And we're supposed to be gracious with others. God has been compassionate with you. So how is it? How is it that we who have received so much compassion are so stingy in giving it to others? You say, well, Eric, you don't know what they've done to me. You don't know, you, you don't understand how hard it is for me to show compassion to these people. You don't understand. They want to kill me. Why should I show them compassion? Well, because that's what God did for you. As, as Jonah begins to pray, and uh, give it to Jonah, verses 2 and 3. Jonah prayed an honest prayer. I mean, he was upset. But I don't know if you really get the picture of what Jonah prayed. In, in, uh, in, in verse, verses 2 and 3, he says, Lord, I, this is exactly what I thought was going to happen. You were going to relent because, because, and then he quotes Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. I know that you are a gracious and a merciful God, slow to anger, abundant in steadfast love, and and ready to relent from harm. He's quoting Exodus chapter 34, verse 6. Jonah knew his Bible, and he knew his history. Exodus 34, verse 6 is is the the celebration of, of, of the children of Israel in the compassion and the grace and the provision that God had made for them. How that God had rescued them from bondage in Egypt. How that God had led them across the Red Sea on dry land. How that God had given them His Ten Commandments. How that God would had, had led them through the wilderness by day with a pillar of cloud by night with a pillar of fire showing his presence uh, how that God had had fed them with manna from heaven how that God had given them water from a rock how that God had taken care of them and they said God you are a gracious God you are full of mercy and steadfast love they were celebrating God's compassion for them and so Jonah in his mind God He understood the character of God. He understood God's character of compassion and grace and love and mercy. He just didn't know that that compassion was for others, not just himself. See, in his mind, Jonah was so consumed with his own prejudice that he could not see how that God could extend compassion to the people of Nineveh. He understood that the compassion was for him and the children of Israel. I mean, that's, that's how he was raised. They were the chosen people. As the chosen people, how in the world could they then see this compassion reach to the ones that had destroyed them? Because the Ninevites had destroyed Israel. And now here God is showing compassion, grace, mercy, love, to the Ninevites. I, I, think, I think the lesson that we can learn from, from, from this part, and even the question that God asks in verse 4, Jonah, is it right for you to be angry? Um, I, I think maybe the question that we need to ask ourselves is, how is it that we can know so much about God? And yet, 
be so little like him? How, how can we know so much information about God? Chapter and verse, passage after passage. Discipleship training course after discipleship training course. Bethmore study after Bethmore study. How, how is it that we can know so much about God and yet behave so little like God as followers of Jesus? You see, I'm convinced in my own life, and, and, and I really do believe this is true for every follower of Jesus, but I'm convinced that when I decide that I don't want to change my heart shrinks and I build this barrier between myself and God so that I have to content myself with learning more stuff about Him but not letting Him make me more like Him. See, can't, and please hear my heart on this because I don't want to come off ugly or mean about this, but I'm really not impressed about how much you know about God. And truth is, you should not be impressed by how much I know about God. I'm not impressed with you knowing the different systems of theological discourse. I'm not impressed with how many different ways you can look at the end of times. And I'm not impressed with how you can draw a graph about different things that we see in Scripture. <coughs> I'm not impressed with that. The reason I'm not impressed with it in you is because I don't think God's impressed with it in me either. And God's not trying to make you smarter. He's trying to make you more like Jesus. And until we let His compassion shape our heart, until we let His compassion melt our heart so that we adjust to fit His design and desire, then we're going to be in a stalemate. And I believe that there are many believers here, many followers of Jesus, and you've been a follower of Christ for decades, and you have not grown one inch in Christ-likeness because you refuse to allow God to explode your heart with His will. You've just settled into the way you live and the way you think, and that's all there is to it. You're like Jonah, sitting on the side of a hill, mad as a rat, who can't find any cheese. I'm still trying to make this one positive, I'm trying to turn it around. I'm having a hard time. Right? Help me. No? Can't. Oh, never mind. Okay, I'll just move on. God's compassion isn't just for us. And anytime we say, that we're not going to extend that compassion to others. When we refuse to be the conduit through which that compassion, love, and grace, and mercy flows, we're being stubborn and immature as followers of Jesus, and we are stunting our growth to become more like Jesus. Now, my dad taught me long ago as a, as a young man 
that uh, you can be obedient in all these other things, but if you're disobedient in this one thing, you're not going to grow. You're not going to experience the taste of heaven every day. And what we try to do in church life, and this is, this is the church game we play, we know that God wants to explode our heart with his will in, in an area of our life. And he wants to get hold of us, and he wants to take hold of us, and he wants to change us, and, and yet we refuse to let him have that. And, and in order to make ourselves feel better as church-going people, what we do is we get obedient in a lot of other things. Can I just suggest that that is a, that is a pursuit of futility? That's just going through the motions. That's just being a religious person and a moral person. Now, you, you, you've, you've got to let God have all of you. And if there's something in you that you know that God wants to, to change, then you've got to let him change it. And none of us are too old or too young to stop growing. God's compassion isn't just for us. But God graciously continues to work. And that's, 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 the, that's the great thing about God. I, I just, I mean, really the hope in this passage is that I can be as stubborn as Jonah and God is going to be gracious enough to keep on working with me. Isn't that beautiful? That's verses 5 through 11, and I won't go through all of it. We've already read it. But but essentially, God asked Jonah this hard question. Is it right for you to be angry? I was talking to a pastor friend of mine this week, and he called me, and, uh, you know, I'm, I'm, I'm not an expert on anything, but I do have at least 13 years of experience here. And, uh, and, and so sometimes that means pastors will call me if they come up with something. They're just trying to figure out how to navigate certain things. And so he called me and he said, you know, Eric, I'm, I'm, I'm kind of in hot water. I'm in trouble. And my heart go, went out to him immediately. And I said, well, tell me what's going on. And he said, he said, well, I'm, you know, I'm in this church and we've experienced great, great things. God's done great things. And I said, well, tell me about it. He said, well, about two years ago or three years ago, we... We, we as a church determined that, that we were going to have to change in order to reach people. And, and by the way, that is the way it goes. That, that's the way it is in church. If you're going to reach people, it means you're going to have to change. And that, that's, that's part of it. Um, and so he went on, he said, we, we, we knew we had to change certain things, and we got a team together, and that team evaluated, and they came to the conclusion that we needed to change the music. And, uh, and I said, and so I giggled a little bit uh, with, with understanding of what he's talking about. And he said, he said uh, but when, when we went to the church, they came up with a compromise, a solution. I said, great, I love solutions. And he said, he said what, what we determined is there was a group of people that had been in the church a long time, and, uh, and, and they said, well, we'll just do two different types of services, right? And I just groaned inside myself because that, that really is a chicken's way out. Uh, and it, it doesn't solve anything, it just divides. And so, and I told him, I said, I wish you would have talked to me. He said, I wish I would have talked to you first too. But anyway, they went ahead and they divided. And, and so they had an early service that was more traditional, and they had a later service that was more contemporary or less traditional. And, and, and he said, and everything was going great. 
And, and we started reaching people and, and reaching people. And people were being saved. And we baptized a lot of people uh, who came to faith in Christ. It was so exciting to see what God was doing, except in the early service. He said the people in the early service started getting mad because the growth was happening in the later service. The lives were being changed in the later service. And he said... He said, now, the early service group has dwindled so much and the later service has grown so much that the crew in the early service, they've done some political stuff and they've, they've got my head on the chopping block, he said. They're, they're coming after his job. They want him gone. I wonder how any part of that story, that perspective that says, I would rather fire the pastor than see people come to faith in Christ. I don't see how any of that can be less than what Jonah was experiencing. And that was his attitude. I don't want to give up what I have and I don't care if all of Nineveh goes to hell we all have those little things in our life the, the things that, that God has to work on us about uh, by the way with the pastor I, I told him I said you only have one choice well you got two choices you, you can either quit or you can just press on as hard as you can and as faithfully as you can and rejoice in the lives that are being changed and just pray God does something to the hearts of those who are so mad about the lives being changed. See, just because it's hard doesn't mean we have an excuse not to do it. And God was working on Jonah. He raised up a plant to cover his head and then he brought a worm to eat the plant and the point of that was Jonah why are you so mad about a plant I, I think God had to not only tackle Jonah's prejudice he also had to he had to tackle Jonah's misplaced priorities see sometimes we become so passionate about trivial things and so unconcerned about eternal things. How is it? And, and I'm asking you, how, how can it be that you, a follower of Jesus Christ, can become so concerned about small things, unimportant things, and trivial things? How do you get so wrapped around the axle, angry about those things, and just don't really care that much about eternal things. I mean, I know how it works in my life. But have you ever thought about that in your life? Can I also say that God is not pleased when I prioritize the unimportant things and the trivial things and I neglect the eternal things? And by the way, 
Just because it's important to me doesn't mean it's important to God. So I wonder if we would let God's compassion shape our hearts so that He redirects our priorities again. And He gives us His compassion for a world that's lost and dying and in need of rescue. And God responded to Jonah. He said, should I not be concerned for this city? And the answer is, of course he should. Certainly should be more concerned for the city than a plant. Today, should not we, followers of Jesus Christ, allow God's compassion to shape our hearts so completely that we have his concern? For this city. Should not we share God's great concern for the seven cities of Hampton Roads? So much so that we commit ourselves every day to fulfill the purpose that He's given us, which is to honor Him and to glorify Him, to serve Him and to live for Him and to commit ourselves to be His ambassadors in our world. How about it? Is that something you'll do? Would you bow your heads with me, please? I know that there's a lot in this passage and... and, and, in this message that God wants to speak to us about. And, and I, I mean, he's spoken to me tremendously through uh, even not just the preparation, but also the delivery of this message. I, I wonder how God would have you respond today. Some of you have been stuck in your stubborn heartedness and you've justified your bitterness and your anger and your your, your madness or whatever, whatever emotion it is that's a reflection of your stubbornness before God. And you, you've, you've justified it and you've rationalized it. And, and yet God has, has spoken to your heart today and he's saying, is it right for you to be angry? So maybe today God is leading you to, to let go and let God explode your heart to change it. Maybe God's just going to help you today get over yourself. I mean, that's what this passage does for me. I mean, it just, it makes me get over myself and set on top shelf whatever God desires. And the story of Jonah ends, and we never find out what happened to Jonah. But your story is an open book today. And you have an opportunity to immerse yourselves in the celebration and the joy of obedience to God. I, I pray you do it.
See, worship is not merely singing a song or listening to a talk or praying a prayer. Worship is participative. It's where God speaks to you and you respond to him. I don't know how God wants you to respond, maybe on bent knee, face down before holy God here at this altar. Maybe he wants you to respond by coming to one of the pastors, one of the ministers here at the front, just saying, I've got some questions, can you talk with me? Maybe he wants you to respond by standing and joining corporately in song of praise to the God who has rescued you. Or whatever he leads you to do, friends, this is your time. to be obedient to God. Just don't be stubborn. Oh, Spirit of God, have your way with us in this place. It's in the name of Jesus we pray. Amen.